to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the guys we brought in and met last week, they were available for the media on Monday. We're going to cover that, plus... We'll get you caught up on the latest, including a handful of re-signees that we have not covered here on the podcast per reports, and also we'll talk about the free agency class a little bit more in depth on a few stats we missed available to me through the NFL research packet. All of that and a heck of a lot more from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins So to kick this podcast off, we have some more player retention to talk about here first. It has been reported that the Dolphins landed Teron Armstead in free agency. I cannot wait to break down his game when that signing becomes official. We'll do that on a future edition here of the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, a few guys return to the Dolphins with contracts this week. Let's go ahead and kick it off here with Sheldrick Redwine is back. He came into the NFL with the Browns back in 2019, a fourth round draft pick out of, you guys know where he's from, the U. Man, what an electric player he was with the Hurricanes, and now he's back with the Dolphins after catching on here mid-season in 2021, coming over from the New York Jets where he began last season. He played 705 snaps on defense the first two years in the league with the Browns, and he had more plays on the football than touchdowns allowed per Pro Football Focus's coverage data, four total passes defensed, and two touchdowns allowed in his time there in Cleveland. That's what I mean. His game was ranging and finding the football in college, and he showed that here in the National Football League. With Miami, he's very good safety depth, and where he's always been a key cog, of course, the special teams. He gave Miami 63 snaps in that role last year in just four games. He was injured in that Saints game and did not play the rest of the way, but in total, 428 special team snaps. Pro Football Focus has him with 17 and a half total special teams tackles since coming into the National Football League. So he's back, and so too is another familiar face. Tight end Durham Smythe had a career year in production last season, which coincided with an elevation and playing time in his fourth year as a pro. Nobody utilized 12 personnel more than the Dolphins a season ago, and I recall asking George Godsey about the decision to utilize that grouping more than anybody else in football, and he said that a lot of that had to do with how comfortable Miami was with multiple tight ends on the roster and the multiple things they can do with said tight ends as a kind of driving force behind the heavy use of 12 personnel. And so Durham Smythe goes on to have a 34-catch, 357-yard season, which is 10.5 yards per catch. All of those are career best by a pretty good margin. And you might recall that he was involved in 2020 in a tight end room that set some Dolphins tight end franchise records in terms of production, like nine touchdowns among Gasicki, Smythe, and Shaheen that season. But for Smythe, he was such a big part of some of the multiple different types of conflict that Miami could put on a defense's plate with some of the RPO looks, the play action, the jet sweep action, some of that misdirection stuff we talk about. And we talked at length on this podcast for years now about split zone and the action of Durham Smythe coming across the formation 
which is, you know, split zone means the offensive line's going one direction, tight end comes across the other side of the formation to help dig out that backside edge, but also give the linebackers some misdirection and eye candy to look at. And, you know, this is something the Dolphins kind of projected with Durham coming out way back in 2018. You might recall that at Notre Dame, Durham was almost exclusively a run game slash blocking type of tight end. They just did not feature their tight ends in the passing game. And of course, they ran the football more than just about anybody. It might have been number one. I'd have to go back and check during Smythe's time there at Notre Dame. Then he goes to Mobile for the Senior Bowl and shows, oh yeah, he can do that stuff. He's pretty damn athletic. And he backed it up with a really good shuttle run in Indianapolis to showcase some of those quicks. And to do that at six foot five, 250, give or take, when he checked in an Indy as a tight end, I mean, that would check in at better than average height, way better than average height, and better than average weight as well. So a, a, a bigger than average body build with better than average movement skills for Durham Smythe. So I think that when you think about being multiple, you think about that misdirection and giving the defense every potential play in your playbook on a given look, that's a big part of where Smythe's value lies. And I want to dip into that a little more when we get to Alec Ingold's media availability here in just a moment. But finally, he's been a core special teams guy really since he got into the league back in 2018. So between him getting a key on crossing, getting a Trent Sherfield, getting a Sheldrick Redwine back, and all the incumbents we know about with valuable special teams experience here on the roster, I think the Dolphins have to feel really good about their retention in that arena. Speaking of, and our last one reported as of this taping is linebacker Brennan Scarlett who of course has had a lot of work on special teams. And I thought in addition to his work on the third phase that he had a really solid year in sort of that sub linebacker role. And what's funny about that is the use of the word sub here that really reflects how the league has changed, doesn't it? I mean, I can't count how many times I've said this on the podcast or otherwise, but base is sub now. Like your three, four or your four threes, are going to make up less than 10% of your personnel usage because, well, that nickel position has been a starting position for over a decade now. And when the nickel comes on the field, that means somebody in the front seven has to come off. So it's now the front six, but I digress. But Brennan Scarlett in that role, when they were in their 3-4-4-3 fronts, was a solid, solid edge-setting linebacker. And in other packages as well, but so solid off the edge and run defense in general, he's very difficult to move, and he has the pliability paired with that strength to kind of rework the position on play side runs when he's the when he's off that strong side to either get outside and funnel the ball carrier back into his help or come up over the top and get involved in the tackle himself. But he also has some pass rush production as well. Three pressures and a quarterback hit on just 43 pass rush reps last season, and he was only targeted twice in 19 coverage snaps, one catch for 15 yards per pro football focus. But like I mentioned, the run defense stands out. PFF tabbed him with just one missed tackle on the season, and he made 19 total, so that's a great number, albeit a limited sample size. And five of those were run stops. Those are tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage on running play downs. And then finally, we talk about the special teams. Over 1,200 career snaps there, 269 last season with Miami, 20 career tackles on special teams per pro football focus, a core guy with better than a 70.0 special teams grade in three of the last four years, and that's where you start to get to the cutoff of well above average players at that 70 mark in that regard. So 
Brandon Scarlett, Durham Smythe, Sheldrick Redwine reported to be back here with the Miami Dolphins this season. And later this week, we're going to do a recap so far of free agency, as it were, and kind of a roster reset and take a look at the draft coming up with the moves we've seen so far and how they could have an impact in that regard. But real quick, before our first break and getting to the free agent media availabilities, here with the National Football League, we get these incredible packets of info compiled by the NFL research team. And I wanted to go ahead and read a couple of those off here for you guys, some of the notes from that packet and that research. So Teddy Bridgewater, in seven starts in which the Broncos won last year, had nine touchdown passes and no picks and a 113.1 passer rating. That's a great way to play with a strong defense he had there in Denver and hopefully you think here with Miami again, should he get on the field, a strong defense to help back him in that regard. Per Next Gen Stats, Bridgewater led all qualifying quarterbacks last year with a 99.8 passer rating when he was under pressure. And we discussed the numbers against the Blitz and the pass rush last week, but I didn't know that he was number one in that department. Really good stuff there. At running back, Chase Edmonds was one of six qualifying running backs to average over five yards per carry last season, 5.1. And he had a better yards per carry than teammates Kyler Murray, 4.8, and James Conner, 3.7. Kind of tells you about what he was able to do compared to, you know, in the same system, same blocking, same everything compared to his teammates there. Edmonds has increased his touches per game and yards from scrimmage per game each year he's been in the National Football League. Last season, 13.3 touches per game and 75.3 scrimmage yards uh, per game. I also mentioned the 15 miles per hour thing in the last podcast. No back hit that speed on a greater percentage of their runs, but he cleared the field by quite a bit. It was 23.3% of his runs hit a top speed of 15 miles per hour or greater. Second place was Dalvin Cook. That was 21.7%. So almost a full two percentage points lower. Third place was Nick uh, Cordell Patterson, I should say, at 21.6. So one-tenth lower than second place. Then 21.2, four-tenths lower for Miles Sanders. And then Nick Chubb at 20.2. So he was a decent amount ahead of the pack on that. Finally, he had the second highest 10-plus yard rush rate against light boxes. That's less than eight-man boxes, typically two high safeties, which, you know, McDaniel has talked about how you have to earn two high safeties in this league, and you kind of do that through your running prowess. And when he faced that, when he had ten, uh, two high safeties or light boxes, less than eight-man in the box, he had the second-highest 10-or-more-yard carry rate in the National Football League. He was 18.5%, almost one of every five runs against those looks, went for 10 plus yards. That was behind only Nick Chubb and was better than Jonathan Taylor, Rashad Penny, and Dalvin Cook, three, four, and five on the list respectively. How about Raheem Mostert? 5.7 career yards per carry is second most among all running backs in National Football League history with at least 250 carries. Now, obviously, you know, uh, Bo Jackson's one of those guys. He had a lot more carries than that, but it tells you the explosiveness of these two backs. How about Cedric Wilson Jr., who led the Cowboys last year with 19 catches, 315 yards, and four touchdowns on third or fourth down. He was their leading guy on the money down. That's C.D. Lamb. That's Amari Cooper. That's Dalton Schultz. That's Zeke Elliott. That's Tony Pollard. It's a loaded offense. He also led them with first down catches on third and fourth down, 16 of them. And more than half of his season totals in receiving yards came on third and fourth down. 315 of his 602 total yards came on third and fourth down. Clutch, clutch receiver. 
Connor Williams staying in Dallas covered a lot of this detail in the podcast, but he had career highs and overall grade, pass blocking grade, and run blocking grade on Pro Football Focus last year. And he had one sack allowed and 526 pass blocking snaps in 2021 and has not missed a game in these last two seasons. So so that's the detail there from the NFL research packet. Great, great stuff. Might have to go ahead and put that all into a tweet and fire it off there as well. So keep an eye at Wingfield NFL on Twitter. All right, media availabilities next here. Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. It is a Wednesday. It is the Drive Time Podcast. We are presented by AutoNation. And on Monday, the Dolphins' eight free agent signings met with the South Florida media to discuss coming to South Florida, their role in the football team, and a whole bunch more. And we kick this off here with Teddy Bridgewater, who, of course, is coming back home to South Florida. And he mentioned Rakeem Cato as a guy that was potentially the number one South Florida product as far as quarterbacks go. And look, Teddy, I was a huge, huge Rakeem Cato fan coming out of Marshall. He wound up in the CFL. So, Teddy, I I think you have that one taken, my friend. Let's go ahead and pick it up here with Teddy Bridgewater, who was asked about the decision to come to South Florida and take the job with Miami as the backup to Tua Tungabailoa. No, honestly, man, um, the conversations that I had with the coaches, man, um, they were transparent with everything. Then being from South Florida, man, this this is home. You know, um, you know, I get to sleep in my own bed every night, um, not have to find somewhere to live. Uh, my son is here. Uh, my family's here. Um, so it, it was pretty much a, a smooth and it wasn't too much to decide on. Um, you know, the football side will always take care of itself. Um, you know, I'm just looking forward to this opportunity that I have. That's a theme you're going to notice here on the media availabilities was the transparent conversations, the personable personality of head coach Mike McDaniel and just how trusting these players are of this coaching staff to put them in the correct position as you heard that from Teddy Bridgewater but also talking about coming home to South Florida here Teddy expanded upon that and talked a little bit about seeing Hard Rock Stadium when he would pass as a kid you know on the highway there or just in the streets nearby really cool story here Teddy Bridgewater let's run the audio when you when you grow up you know here and um you can't miss the stadium, you know, um, from the days when the Marlins played baseball in the stadium. And I thought I was either going to be a baseball player for the Marlins or, you know, football player for the Dolphins at some point, because, you know, that was so much motivation and uh, still motivation for so many, you know, young children playing sports in South Florida uh, today. You know, you ride on the turnpike, you can't miss the stadium. You can be all the way down South um, by the airport on 8.36, and you can see the airport still. I mean, I see the stadium still. So, you know, it was always like, man, one day, one day. And um, that day finally, you know, came where it became official last week. So, um, you know, I'm just taking it one day at a time, looking forward to, you know, um, being the best football player that I can be, being the best man that I can be, uh, continue to do some great things in the community and, uh, you know, help this team. And look, football is the primary prerequisite for having a job on a football team, right? But at the same time, as good as Teddy is in the football field and serving in that role in the quarterback room, what he does in the community is, I think, going to be paramount above all. Here he is talking about the message to the youth. I just thought this answer for word for word was perfect. Here's Teddy. You know, um, the message hasn't changed, man. It's, you know, dream big, man. And, you know, no dream is too big. 
And, um, you know, I'm happy that, you know, I get to be home. Um, I always tell myself, man, that, you know, the more that, you know, they see you in the flesh, the more it means to them. You know, oftentimes you see your idol on TV and, and it's like, man, okay, that's my idol. But to see them in the flesh, to see that, you know, you walk the same sidewalks, uh, play street football in the same streets, play on the same parks, went to the same middle schools, high schools. Um, you know, that that's huge for for a lot of children and uh, teenagers. So, um, you know, like I said, first and foremost, I'm home to, to be a football player. But, um, you know, I get the opportunity to just continue to make an impact in the community. Let's go ahead and go back to the football and finish up there. I love this question and answer. What about this offense appeals to you as a quarterback and a guy that has so much experience in this league and has seen many offenses? I thought it was great to hear what Teddy had to say about what this offense can do for the quarterbacks here in Miami. Man, um, this this offense, you know, is quarterback friendly. Um, there are always guys open, uh, running wide open at times. Um, you know, these coaches, staff, man, if you, if you follow them over the past couple of years, you, you've seen, you know, their works. Um, you get everyone involved from the running backs to the tight ends, the wide receivers. Um, so that's appealing. Um, and I'm just excited, you know, to continue to grow mentally uh, in this league, learn a new offense and, and, and just grow. So from the guys throwing the football to the guys catching the football and from a guy who knows South Florida very well to a guy who is new, in the area, Cedric Wilson Jr. What sold you on coming to Miami this free agency? Just the obviously the recruiting process um, that I mean all of us have went through. Um, definitely felt the likableness there, and obviously once I made the decision, um, it was just one that I knew I could um, stick with and strive with. Earlier on the podcast, we talked about him striving with the third and fourth down receiving aspect. Last year, he also played in the slot 90% of his snaps with the Cowboys. But if you go back to his prior years, there was a much more well-spread delineage of workload for him from the inside to the outside. And if you go back to college at Boise State, he played a lot on the outside as well. So he can play every position on the offense. But he was asked about his strength as a slot receiver. And if that's where he sees himself, here he is talking about which positions make the best version of Cedric Wilson Jr., Yes, uh, I definitely like the slot. I mean, it's a lot, a lot more room to work. and um, But I'm, I definitely see myself as over, an overall football player, which I can run, throw, catch. So pretty much um, any position I feel like I'd be comfortable at, whether it's inside or outside. Um, but I definitely strive in the slot when I'm in there. Again, playing the highlights here, one thing that Cedric Wilson had mentioned was the allure of coming to play for a Mike McDaniel offense. And he was also asked about has he – met up with Tua Tagovailoa yet for throwing, and he said that once he gets settled here in South Florida, that's going to be his goal to get that set up to go out there and catch some passes with his new quarterback. And he was also asked here about the recruiting process, besides McDaniel, besides Tua, besides all that stuff, what else kind of stood out to you about why you wanted to choose to come to Miami and continue your football career here in South Florida? Well, the first thing I would have to say that um, stood out in the process would definitely be the just the, the I say the, culture around the facility, even though I feel like it hasn't been built yet, obviously with most people being new, if not all, um, that's probably stuck out to me that everyone was already like hand in hand in the facility with just getting there at a short time. 
And then I wanted to play this because it was a follow-up on the comment he made earlier about Mike McDaniel being a very personable head coach. Here's a question about what about McDaniel makes him personal, what makes him stand out among other coaches. Here is Cedric Wilson on his new head coach here in Miami. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to, to um, decide that now, but off the first meeting, I can definitely tell that he's a guy that's going to want to be hands-on with everything. And, I mean, you like your coaches like that because you don't want the coaches just to disappear and you only see him at practice. So uh, I feel like he'll be very hands-on, and I feel like that'll be good, one, for the offense, and two, the whole team, the showing that their head coach is out there grinding with them. And from a sort of glamorous position at wide receiver to perhaps the grittiest position on a football field in the fullback, a position that doesn't have as many guys as it used to, and so Alec Ingold talked about the decision to play that position because he just loves football and wants to get on the field. No, it's been fun being a fullback, being in this league, being able to play football. Man, I just, I made that jump when I got recruited into Wisconsin. They said, here you go. Here's an offer as an athlete. And I was a mid-major guy trying to play quarterback, had a, a, a quarterback offer. And, you know, it was my family and I just discussing how much we love football. And um, I said, I'll do whatever it takes to be on a football field. And it went from quarterback to linebacker to running back, eventually to fullback. So, Man, I just love being on a football field and call me a dinosaur if you want. But man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find my way into a football field one way or another. And then I found it really cool how he talked about the matchups that the fullback position creates on a field when they do get called upon. Here he is discussing that aspect of the position. Yeah, I mean, we, we all stay in contact. I, I watched all of the 49ers film from, you know, since I've been in the league, right? Just watching Juice do his thing and uh, watching Pat Ricard and CJ Ham, Derek Watt. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And um, just being able to follow those guys, follow those offenses, seeing how they do their techniques and how they play football. Um, we take great pride in changing the, the dynamic of an offense, right? As soon as 21, 22 personnel comes out, uh, it seems like it's a little bit different flow of a game. So I think we all take pride in that. And that's something that I, I definitely do anytime I put a, uh, a helmet on. So, no, it's, it's exciting to be a fullback in this league, man, for sure. And then this last one here from Dolphins fullback Alec Ingold was among my favorite answers of the entire day, talking about Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, and the speed that they operate with and the impact that speed can have on an offense. You guys might recall I put out there, or I retweeted, I should say, a Dan Orlovsky from ESPN tweet talking about how he was a big fan of two teams this free agency with the Dolphins and Jets for the speed the Dolphins added to their offense. Obviously, Edmonds and Mostert are a big part of that. Cedric Wilson, too. And here is Alec Ingold talking about what speed at the running back position can do for an offense to help set the tone. Fast, <laughs> absolutely blazing speed, fast. Everyone's going to be running. Uh, shoot, the, the entire offense is going to be running. And uh, I know this is going to be a lot of conditioning work uh, when, we got, when we get going in training camp and OTAs and all that. But those guys start, you know, running backs that, that I've worked with in the past and especially, you know, these guys, they kind of set the tone for how an offense is going to run, right? If you were running fast, if you're finishing plays through the whistle, you know, you're getting those explosive plays on offense. Those running backs are a part of that. They're, they're the leader of that. Once they can break through the, the second level and they can take off like that and you feel that speed, all of a sudden you have the offense line move in, the, run, the wide receivers, you know, everyone is running downfield with those guys. So the amount of speed that they bring to an offense, that's exciting just to be able to, chase those guys downfield after those those explosive plays that um, you know they, they're obviously capable of making. 
Man, that is some good detail there from Miami Dolphins fullback Alec Ingold. We go over to the defensive side of the football here with Keon Crossan, Dolphins defensive back. Has plenty of great special teams plays on his resume as well. First, though, he was asked about his relationship with Dolphins defensive coordinator Josh Boyer and the mutual interest between the Miami Dolphins, Josh Boyer, and Keon Crossing to make this happen to come down here and sign with the Dolphins in free agency. You know, Josh Boyer, like I said, is a great coach. Um, you know, obviously, uh, he drafted me when I was in New England, uh, and uh, he's actually developed me, uh, you know, within my rookie year. But like I say, great guy, uh, really good coach. And, um, you know, I know he's going to put in an effort as a coach um, towards you know, me as a player um, and making sure that I need all the – I have all the tools and uh, necessary – um, essentials uh, to be a great football player. So uh, that, that was my um, reasoning for um, choosing Miami in the terms of Josh Boyer. And uh, like I say, he's a good coach and, you know, I get the best out of his players and that's exactly what I'm looking for. Keon was also asked about head coach Mike McDaniel and his first impression, first meeting with the Miami Dolphins head coach. And we mentioned speed earlier on the podcast. That was one of the first things that Keon and Coach McDaniel talked about was his speed in the football field, but also more about the man himself and talking about things outside of football. Uh, man, that is an exciting guy. Uh, obviously, he loves speed. I think that's one thing he mentioned to me for sure. Um, but one thing he mentioned for sure is his family. Um, you know, the, the places, you know, it's like family. Um, you can even tell that within, you know, the walls of the facilities. Um, and like I say, you know, it's all about, about having fun, enjoying the game. And uh, he let his players be who they are, you know. And uh, that's one thing I like about him. Like I say, when I first met him, man, he was just chilling on the couch, talking. It wasn't even about ball. It was just about life. And that was that's, that's all that matters. Um, we know he's a hell of a coach, and uh, he'll get to prove that when his time comes. And uh at the end of the day, man, he's like I say, he's a player's coach. So I'm looking forward to, you know, getting to, getting to know him a little bit more. And I'm sure he's looking forward to getting to know me a little bit more as well. So there he goes, defensive back Keon Crossan. We are halfway down here, four of the eight. If you guys want to see these in their entirety, go ahead and go to the Miami Dolphins YouTube channel. Again, all the media availabilities up there in their entirety, as well as Dolphins Today and my sit downs with them on the Drive Time podcast from last week as well. So check those out. In the meantime, let's go ahead and take our last break and come back with Raheem Moster on the other side. Drive Time Podcast, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Picking it back up here on a Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation, covering media availability from Monday. Again, to see these uh, interviews, I should say, media availabilities in their entirety, Head over to the YouTube channel and check them out there. You can find every single one of them. Let's go ahead and pick it back up here with running back Raheem Mostert, who was asked about what are the Dolphins getting in head coach Mike McDaniel? Yeah, well, first off, Daniel, appreciate the introduction, man. You know, it's a, it's a long time coming, you know, full circle. Um, and to answer your question, yeah, Mike McDaniel is a, he's one heck of a coach. Um, you know, it, me personally, you know, dealing with him for the last several years, and uh, getting to know him uh, more so on a personal level, you know, he um, he just wants the best out of his players. Um, you know, you know, no matter what um, transpires throughout the rest of the team and stuff like that. In in his role that he had with the Niners, he definitely uh, exemplified. You know, a guy that can go out there and and you know get players pumped up. You know, including myself. You know, we would have game. We'd have these games where 
I come in for the game plan and um, he'll be talking to me and stuff like that and getting me ready, um, you know, to, to go out there and perform at a high level. But, you know, Mike is Mike is definitely one of those coaches that has a lot of tenacity. You know, he brings a lot of, uh, you know, characterism and stuff like that, that, you know, is ultimately going to lead players into the right direction. And I feel like, um, you know, with the opportunity that, that he has right now is definitely going to be um, magnified on a much bigger scale because, of, like I said, he's just an unbelievable coach and a, and a great guy. So um, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, and I can't wait to see how this whole thing turns out. And Raheem was asked to follow up about McDaniel's leadership style. Here's Raheem. No, nah, I mean, his leadership style, man, He he's definitely a guy that's overprepared. You know, he wants to get the game plan in. He wants to understand, you know, the, the scheme. But he also wants to be a coach where, hey, look, you know, we're going to get this job done. You know, um, you're going to see he – he I can't really tell myself, you know, hey, look, you know, he he's a rah-rah guy because I've only had personal conversations with him. You know, I've only been on a personal level with him, um, and I've seen what he – deal with other guys on the field. But, um, you know, it's it's just one of those things where you just got to see see how it goes. And I think that he's, like I said, he's prepared, man. He's always going to be prepared, you know, no matter what the, the, the outcome is or, you know, what the situation entails. But he's always going to have that that uh, readiness to him. And I think that, you know, it's definitely going to come out, you know, this season, especially as a head coach. Overprepared, yeah. 891,000 video clips he wanted to bring with him here to Miami with his head coaching job. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Raheem Mostert, who was asked about the role between the backfield with he and Chase Edmonds and what he knows about new fellow Dolphins running back Chase Edmonds. Yeah, you know, um, I envision my role, you know, the same thing how it was with the Niners, um, you know, just coming in and, and competing. You know, um, we signed Chase and um, kudos to Chase, man. He's a he's a heck of a player. You know, I've I've watched him. I mean, obviously, I've been watching him just because you know the, the Niner connection and you know us playing the Cardinals two times a year. So I know all about Chase, man. And it's funny when when I got to Miami, um, you know, he he was also in Miami at the same time, and we were both having our physicals, and I didn't really realize who it was uh, sitting in the chair because he had got there like literally a couple hours before I did. And um, as I was walking by to go to use the restroom, um, he had stopped me. He was like, hey, Raheem, big fan, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, like, I couldn't really recognize him because he had his mask on. And he's like, I'm Chase. I'm like, oh, what's up, man? Like, you know, just dapped him up and stuff like that. But, you know, um, I told him like, hey, look, man, I've been in the system already. And, you know, um, there's going to be some minor tweaks and everything like that. But um, just be patient. And, you know, when when the, when the time comes, you'll see how, how this thing flourishes out, man. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a fun time. And, um, you know, if you have any questions, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, we exchange numbers and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I try to implement um, my role as, you know, when I was with the Niners, you know, the room that was being built and the room that was built, you know, we lean on each other. It's not so much of, Hey, look, I'm gonna beat this guy out. I'm, I'm competitive. You know, I'm, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to show everybody that they made a wrong mistake by signing him and, and not signing me, you know. It's more so like, hey, look, we're all brothers. We're in this together, and this is how we're going to operate, you know. I want to see you win, um, and I, I hope you want to see me win, you know. Um, and one thing that, you know, I, I even talked to the, the running backs coach when I got, you know, in the facility, um, I basically broke it down to him, and, you know, the, the mindset that I have for um, the running back group, you know, um, I'm going to help you feed your family. You help me feed mine. Um, and that's something that I've, I've lived with, you know, 
going back to Coach Turner in San Francisco. You know, he instilled that in the room. So um, I'm going to be still instilling that in, in the guys that, you know, aren't too familiar with the, the scheme and aren't too familiar with the play, play calls and everything like that. So. And if twice is nice at the running back position, let's go ahead and keep it rolling here with Chase Edmonds. And the same question that was posed to Raheem Mostert off the top, impressions of Mike McDaniel being on the other sideline across from him in the NFC West there with the Cardinals playing against those 49ers football teams. The one thing that really just stood out to me uh, watching San Fran twice a year in their offense was uh, the creativity of it. Really felt like McDaniel did a really good job of just being creative and kind of playing to his, his player styles. I feel like that's one thing that's lost in coaching is that guys uh, sometimes try to always rely on a scheme or whatever it is that they're bringing into an offense. And then they kind of lose uh, the focal point of really playing to your players' abilities. And I felt like McDaniels and the Niners, they did a great job of just playing to their players' abilities, playing to their strengths, finding ways to utilize guys and maximizing their efficiency. Creativity in the scheme, maximizing the efficiency of every player on the roster. You love to hear that. Let's go ahead and pick it up here with Chase Edmonds, who was asked about what strength he, what are his strengths at the stage of his career. He talks a little bit about the versatility, his ability to do everything. Uh, Joe, I think my strength is just my versatility. I feel like, you know, I can be every down back, uh, whether it's first, second down to take a carry, whether it's third down to become a receiving back, and also third down in terms of uh, pass protection. So that's that, that's one thing for me that I think that um, is, is really my strength and what I'm trying to just continue to build on uh, my, my career going into the NFL. Just being more versatile, I feel like, uh, especially just with the way the NFL is going, um, you see the running back position, it's kind of devalued. You know, guys circle in, circle out. You know, they're always trying to get younger guys and cheaper guys. Um, so I really feel like, you know, in order to keep my career growing and, and, and be able to positively impact uh, whichever team I'm on, that's just, you know, building off the versatility, whether it's catching out the backfield, you know, against someone of receiver, whether it's, you know, obviously blocking and pass pro for the quarterback. And then last one here for Chase Edmonds. He was asked if he wanted to come to Miami because the – insinuation that the Dolphins might run the football more than your league average in what has become a pass happy era. He said, yeah, maybe a little bit, but more so following coach McDaniel. Listen to what he had to say about what folks around the league told him about Mike McDaniel. Uh, you know, importance wise, it, it has something to do with it, but I kind of, I'm more so man, you know, I, I was following McDaniel. I, I really believe that he's a guru. I was told he was a guru from players that I trust and that he was a really good player coach as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of putting my, my faith in, in him. I feel like he's a creative guy, man. He's going to find a way to utilize all his players that we have on the offensive side of the ball, find a way to utilize what we're all good at, what we're best at, and keeping it at that. And, um, you know, I think that that's really important for just a, a player's development in this league. You know, uh, when someone or when a coaching staff asks a guy to do too much, that's where you kind of see the mistakes. But if you ask a guy to do what he's comfortable with, if you ask a guy, to do what he's well at, what he's best at, that's when you see the best version of that player. And I think McDaniel can can get that out of us offensively. Really, really good stuff there from new Dolphins running back Chase Edmonds, who of course joins Raheem Mostert, as well as Miles Gaskin, Savant Ahmed here, as well as Jared Dokes uh, on the Futures contract, a five-man backfield at this point heading into draft season here, and of course, free agency still to come. But there you have him talking about that. And how about the guys or the guy in free agency that'll be blocking for those running backs and Connor Williams, who was asked specifically about his movement skills and zone and getting out in space and how that suits his skill set. Here's Connor Williams. Um, I, I think, I think one thing's clear is, is that was one of the best things we did in Dallas was the, 
was was coming off the ball, running running side to side, getting the uh, D line moving, and uh, getting the defense on their feet, and then uh, and then penetrating the defense with the run game. And then once once you get the defense on the heels, then you can then you can get up in the air, you can dish it out. And um, and I after talking to coach, I mean, you can tell his excitement um, in bringing this new zone scheme into Miami and. Uh, and that, I mean, that that is part of the reasons I'm here is to is to part of that building block of of starting a a great zone scheme of. And I think the biggest part of that is the cohesiveness of the team. Is everybody's on the same page? Everybody's working together. And after reps, after reps, after reps, um, it starts it starts manifesting into its own. So two Q and A's with Connor Williams really stood out to me. So I'm going to play the second one here. I thought that first one was great, but this one, I think even more so 25 year old guy come opening day, but you have four years experience in the national football league. That's kind of a leadership role. So what can you offer a very young dolphins offensive line group in terms of that leadership? And what did you learn in Dallas from all those great players and leaders up front on their offensive line? Uh, great question. I mean, this is, this is probably one of the most exciting things uh, to me about <laughs> Miami is, uh, you know, coming into the league, I came in at 20 and, um, and you have Travis, you have Zach, you have Tyron, you have L, you have all these great players to learn from. And, uh, they set a mold of how to do things, how, how to be a great player in this league and what it means uh, day in and day out to work hard and what that hard work means and transitions onto the field and, uh, the respect it has in the locker room. And so, um, just having a younger line group, it's it, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be some good energy of just being able to um, get to work day in and day out with with guys that are eager, that are hungry, and uh, just being able to grow as a unit together. And uh, you know, O lines a O lines a special game. It's all about it's all about camaraderie. It's all about um, trusting the guy to the left and to the right of you. And you're never as you're never just as good as your best player. You're as good as the whole line's strength all together. And so that's the that's the most beautiful part about it. And I think uh, that's the most exciting part of the game is just being able to build that together and the chemistry together. I thought that was awesome stuff there from Connor Williams. Let's go ahead and move on to our last of the eight media availabilities here. Again, you can find these in their entirety up on YouTube. Trent Sherfield, who again, playing with San Francisco, was asked, what about Mike McDaniel attracted you here to the Miami Dolphins? I got asked this question before, bro, and... Uh, Mike is a genius, man. Um, he the way that he can he's able to break down, you know, just the, the defense, and he's able to you know put put players in position to make plays. Um, it's honestly, um, you know, really really amazing. Um, with him, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan also had a big part of that as well too. You know, that that whole offensive staff over there in San Fran. So <clears throat> uh, they both, you know, did a great job. But you know, Mike, you know, being you know being in charge of the run game and um, you know having you know having having the ability with the pass game and everything like that. Um like I said, he's a mastermind. And um, you know, I just I can't wait to can't wait to, you know, get in get into the offense. Obviously I know a little bit of it and everything like that. It should be a little bit of carryover and uh just get ready to get to work. Couple more here for Trent Sherfield. He was asked about his prior knowledge in this offense along with River Craycraft, if that gives him a benefit and advantage heading into OTAs and training camp. I think I think I think it, I think it can be, uh, but then also I also think that it, you know that it doesn't it honestly doesn't really matter because we still got to come in and compete, you know, at the end of the day. Um, because uh, it doesn't matter if you know the plays or whatever it may be, you still got to go out and execute. You still got to go out and catch balls. You still got to go out and uh, like I said, you got to go out and make plays. And so 
Um, to me, I definitely do think that obviously it plays into our favor, you know, obviously, you know, coming from the system and everything like that. But um, I think at the end of the day, you still you still got to go out and compete, strap, you know, strap up your cleats and everything like that. So let me pick it up here with the last one here for Trent Sherfield. I thought it was appropriate to follow up about being a leader and kind of helping the coaching staff as far as being a conduit on the field for the guys who have not played in this offense before. What is your role there? I love this answer from Trent Sherfield. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think for me, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to come in and uh, I know you, I, I just want to come in and honestly, and just, just if I have to lead, I just lead by the way that I work, you know, and lead by the, you know, the example, the way that I carry myself and those type of different things. And I know that, you know, Devontae Parker, you know, great receiver that, that that's in the room, and you know, Jalen Waddle, these guys have um, done tremendous things, you know, um, in this league. And, um, you know, honestly, they, they're they the leaders. And so uh, for me, I think, honestly, it's just knowing what Wes expects, you know, from, you know, from the guys and everything like that. And uh, not only what Wes expects from, you know, from from us as a group, but what I expect from myself. Um, you know, I pretty hold, I hold myself to a high standard um, just when it comes to, you know, just, you know, about work and everything like that. And so um, just going in every single day and just, um, you know, just just doing what, you know, obviously, you know, what I'm coached to, you know, coached to do and just doing it at an extremely high level. All righty, there we go. That's going to put a wrap on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. A little bit longer, but again, we didn't really have the length of the previous episode, so I hope that all balances out. Hope you guys are all caught up here on the podcast. If you have not done so, go back and check out the interviews as well as kind of the introduction into who the player is, their resume, their skill set, their stats, all that fun stuff. All of those on the Welcome to Miami series here on the Drive Time Podcast. All these guys have done that episode. It's up it's ready for you to check out. It's also on YouTube in just the interview process or the interview format, I should say, between me and the player. So go check out all that content. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team on all social channels at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and OJ. They have some fun stuff coming up your way here very shortly. And again, the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today the media availabilities as well as the interviews here on the Drive Time Podcast with each of these guys. Go check those out. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com for the five things piece up on the website on each of these eight free agent signings. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy is coming home.